knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You are listening to the 271st episode of the podcast, which is also the first episode in a new series called Cast One. Now, what is the Cast One podcast series? This hopefully will have a little of something for everyone. Generally speaking, throughout the normal course of the years that I have been putting out the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast, I've touched on any number of the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. It could be gear selection, it could be techniques, it could be where you can go fly fishing. But there's something that I have done over these last 270 episodes in dribs and drabs, both on the podcast and then over the eight years of Casting Across being a website, that I wanted to take and distill for new anglers and for those looking to help folks who are starting fly fishing. And so that's what the cast one podcast series is. It's the idea of this is your first cast. However, there's a lot of folks that use that branding out there when it comes to fly fishing education first cast. So we're calling it cast one. So this is hopefully a first stop that you can go on and get some information about a where you go to start fly fishing, the essentials for how you get started, but then also some other places where you can go. Because there's one thing that I've said from the beginning of casting across. I want the resources that I provide to send you on a journey to all sorts of other people and places and things that will get you a fuller, most more robust picture of what it means to go fly fishing, particularly what it means in your area and what it means in the way that lines up with the way that you want to pursue fish. So the very first episode, it's going to answer a very simple question. How does fly fishing work? Now, this is a great question I get asked all the time when people say, well, what's fly fishing? How is it different? There's a very good chance the only thing they know about fly fishing is that it gets a lot of airtime on insurance commercials. For some reason, on insurance commercials, people are fly fishing. Maybe it's because it's like this is the ideal situation for somebody who is totally in control of their finances and ready to enjoy the good life. Well, there's certainly aspects of that that are true. But if that's all you know about fly fishing, there's a guy standing in the uh, river with uh, green rubber waders and a vest with a couple things hanging off of it. There's a lot more to it. So how do you fly fish? How does fly fish work? What is fly fishing? If you've been fishing for a number of years, pause the podcast and answer this question in a succinct way. Here's the way that I always answer it. I say that the difference between fly fishing and conventional fishing is that fly fishing allows you to cast any size, any weight, any shape 
of bait because you are not casting the bait or the lure or the hook itself. You are casting fly line. Whereas in conventional angling, you are using the weight of the lure or the bait to generate energy and throwing that bait and it's pulling the fly line. The fly cast allows a heavier, thicker, weighted line to actually be what pulls that fly. So consequently, you're able to fish with weightless, virtually weightless flies. So if you've seen a fly, whether it be a fly for a big striped bass that's swimming off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean, or a little trout that's living up in the Rocky Mountain streams, they don't weigh a lot. In fact, most flies, with the exception of a, a few oddities, ones that are fished with hard plastic bodies or maybe big weights on the front of that fly, most flies weigh a matter of, of grams. And that's essentially what the difference between fly fishing and conventional fishing is. In fly fishing, you're using the weight of the fly line to pull your fly, your lure, your bait, your hook, where you want to go. In conventional angling, you're using the weight of the lure, the bait, the hook to pull the line to so that you have a way to get to that fish and a way to pull it in. Effectively, that is the major difference. Now, consequently, you have two very different scenarios and situations that you are faced with once that fly is out there with fly fishing and with uh, conventional angling. And this, I'm using this as the, uh, the comparison because a lot of folks have at one point in time, whether it be at a fishing derby or whether it be with grandpa or their kid, or whether it be because it's very easy and accessible and inexpensive to try conventional fishing, they know what it's like to cast out that bobber with that worm and either hang out and watch or reel the thing in. And so that is an incredibly effective way to catch fish. Now, the difference with fly fishing, of course, is that you are having to manipulate that fly, that lure, or conversely, you are having to keep it as motionless from your perspective as possible. You're allowing it to do what a bug would do. So if you've ever seen a bug, bugs don't usually run across the surface of the water. Uh, bugs don't usually hop around on top of the water. Bugs, they may skitter a little bit, and they more likely than not are just going to sit still. They are going to move with the microcurrents of that water. They're going to sink at a rate that is natural, and they're going to drift along with those currents underneath the water. So you're going to allow the fly, the bait, the lure to do that, as opposed to reeling the thing in or having it suspend under a bobber. That is the major difference in the presentation, we call that, of the fly between conventional fishing and fly fishing. So it seems like a lot of work. Why would somebody do this? Why would somebody try fly fishing as opposed to conventional fishing? Because more often than not, you're going to catch way more fish with a worm, way more fish with a little minnow that's put on the end of a hook than you are with a fly. So why in the world would somebody take the time, the energy, the effort, and admittedly the cost to fly fish as opposed to using bait or using conventional lures like you see the guys do on Saturday morning TV? Well, some of it has to do with just the simple fact that it is a preference. Now, a lot of ways that we do things come down to preference, and fly fishing is just that. It is a preference. There are plenty of people that catch lots and lots of trout, lots and lots of bass, lots and lots of fish in the ocean using all sorts of different techniques and strategies. Fly fishing, however, is simply one of those that allows people to do certain things with lures 
or flies, I should say, that you can't necessarily do with larger, heavier lures, which again, that is the major difference. The lure has to be heavy in order to cast it with that spinning rod, whether that be your little Zebco with a push button or whether it be with a, a spinning or a spin casting rod. So it comes down to the fact that some people want to fish with very, very small flies. So a very explicit example, a lot of people see the pinnacle of fly fishing as being as using what's called a dry fly. So a dry fly would be a fly that imitates an insect that has hatched. And they are not necessarily a fly in the sense like a house fly that we often think of, but they are any sort of aquatic insect, an aquatic macroinvertebrate that hatches either from the stream bottom or adjacent to the stream, and it flies around that stream and then it lands in the water. And because these fish are only built to do a few things, that is not get eaten themselves, make more fish babies, and eat things, they are very finely tuned to pay attention to those bugs landing on the surface. Although what they eat more often than not is those bugs when they are in their nymphal stage or they're crawling around the stream bottom or drifting along the, the current in the water, under the, in the water column. When those bugs do hatch and they do land, they float along and uh, they you know, are trying to dry their wings off so that they can uh, take off or, or they are struggling because they know they're stuck in the water. And this is an enticing opportunity for those fish. But what that allows you to do as the angler is make a cast with a fly that you can see. And again, this is one of the reasons why fly fishing is so exciting and so enticing to so many people is the fact that when you fish a dry fly for a trout, but you can also do it for bass, you can do it for carp, you can do it for all sorts of fish. You are watching that fish come up and take that fly, and then you are having the challenge of responding to that fish coming up and taking that fly by setting the hook. It's a very beautiful, it is a very delicate, but it can also be a pretty wild and raucous event when that fish realizes that that is not a real bug that it has just bitten into. But when it comes down to it, it is a preference. I make you know no no bones about it. Uh, that same fish that can gently and delicately rise up and take that little dry fly will also eat a cigarette butt that's floating by. Will also eat a bit of um, corn put on the end of a hook underneath a bobber. They are simply fish at the end of the day, and like I said, they're concerned with making more fish babies, not getting eaten, and eating themselves. So fly fishing really does come down to preference. So these are the first few things that I like to communicate to people when they ask, how does fly fishing work? Or why do you fly fish? The first one is how fly fishing works is fly fishing involves casting a heavy line, pulling a light lure. And I use lure because I mean, they're, they're flies, but some of them, if you get online, you look at what some of these flies are, they look a whole lot like the lures that you would use to catch, you know, bass or, or, or panfish or things like that. And then what is the, the advantage? There are circumstantial advantages. There are scenarios in which it is advantageous to use this type, type of fishing, but I would say nine times out of 10, it comes down to preference. The second thing, and I want to add this as a little bit of a side note to the, the preference issue and the, the, the joy that comes with fishing a dry fly, you are able to manipulate a fly in the water using fly line in a way that you can't necessarily manipulate a lure using just that the, the string, the line of a normal fishing rod. And this comes from the fact that when you are pulling your fly back towards you or you are retrieving that fly, you are not reeling that line in. 
So if you cast out a bobber with a worm underneath it, or like you'll often see in the bass fish, uh, fishing tournaments they do, they have those big uh, plastic lures with the, the lip on it that are called crankbaits that dive down and they wiggle as they reel them in. Every rotation of that reel takes that line from being out of the end of the rod tip and it puts it back onto the reel. And so once that lure has been cast 50 feet and gets reeled in 10 feet, it's going to be 40 feet out. That's some pretty complicated math, but I think you see what I'm saying. Whereas in fly fishing, if you cast a fly 50 feet out, what you do then is not reel in that fly line, that thick fly line. What you do is you strip it in, which means that you pull it back with your hand. So you're holding onto your rod with one hand, you're pulling the line with your other hand. And then what you can do is you can actually allow the current to pull that line back out. So you maintain contact with it because sometimes as that fly goes limp or slack in the current, that's when that fish is going to come and attack it. But you're able to let that line back out. So you're able to, for a prolonged period of time, fish 50 feet to 40 feet, let it go back to 50 feet, fish 50 feet to 40 feet. Let it go back to 50 feet, danced around to 35, go back to 50. That's something that you're able to do in fly fishing that may give you an advantage in a certain situation that you're not going to necessarily have with fishing a conventional uh, rod and reel with a lure. So that's just one more example. There are countless other examples where it's more advantageous to use fly gear, but there's also plenty of times where it's more advantageous to use conventional gear. But again, that's where it comes down to preference. What tools do you want at your disposal? What experience do you want to have? And I can't state it enough. The experience is a significant aspect of it. There is a rhythm and there is a cadence to the fly cast. There is a uh, cadence and a rhythm also to watching that fly on the water. There's a certain slowness that comes with fly fishing in a way that you're not going to get if you have a rod and a reel and you're casting and reeling and casting and reeling and casting and reeling. And it also certainly isn't as slow as fishing through a hole in the ice or casting out a uh, bobber with some uh, some hot dogs on it to try to catch catfish, which if you're looking to catch catfish, definitely use uh, hot dogs, don't use flies. But uh, th there's it's, again, a preference not only in how you are fishing from tackle and presentation, but the experience. What is it like for you? And so that's what draws a lot of people to it. There is also that imagery. There's that aesthetic. A lot of books have been written about fly fishing, literature books, not necessarily how-to books, although those certainly exist also. And there's a lot of artwork that goes into it. And there is a lot of very, very pretty gear. And the gear, even the new stuff, has a certain antique feel and antique look to it. Whereas in conventional gear, whether it be for saltwater or for bass or even for ice fishing, it looks very futuristic. So there's nothing right or wrong. Again, it is form and uh, hopefully uh, manufacturers are designing things where the function flows out of the form and vice versa. Uh, but uh, it is not, again, something that is going to dictate whether you catch fish or not. It is a preference. So three things right off the bat. Again, first of all, fly fishing involves using a heavy line to pull your fly where you want it to go, as opposed to a heavy lure pulling line where you want your lure to go. Secondly, uh, it gives you certain advantages, but also can provide certain disadvantages when you're presenting that fly to the fish. And thirdly, there's a great aesthetic draw to fly fishing. So we're going to cover more of the specific topics in the coming weeks. Where do you find fish? 
How do you pick a fly rod? What are the different seasons of fly fishing? And what do fish eat? These are all things that we're going to talk about. But uh, one of the, the focuses, foci, that we're going to have in these next eight episodes is going to be on trout. And so I did want to say a few words on trout when it comes to why people would want to fly fish. So although there are certainly special regulations across this country, the United States, for fishing for largemouth bass, the most popular sport fish in our country, fishing for catfish, for crappie, for sturgeon, you name it, there are, there are regulations for all of these fish that the various states put out. Sometimes they are influenced by the federal government, but more often than not, they are state regulations. As we think about where we are as a country in our history, where we are post-industrialization, um, post-deforestation, a lot of the areas that held trout became imperiled environmentally. And so that means the Appalachian Mountains are, are a prime candidate for talking about this, uh, but certainly this also occurs out west. Places where those fish thrived and where they flourished became deforested. Their rivers got jammed up either because of dams or because of logging or a combination thereof. Rivers were channelized because of put, putting in cities and things like that. And what that means is that those fish populations became imperiled. They dwindled sometimes to the point of extirpation. That is to say, that particular fish species did not go extinct, but they are no longer present in their original uh, heritage area or they have got, been driven into the headwaters. So if you have a major river, they are driven up into those feeder creeks. And trout, because they require cold, well-oxygenated water, so water that has a lot of oxygen in it, bubbles is just a simple way to think about that, although uh, they're not necessarily bubbles, but we'll talk about that in a, in a later episode. They were more quickly driven from their native range. That being said, with certain environmental movie, movements, certain um, aspects of the Endangered Species Act, which is a relatively uh, new phenomenon in our country, um, these populations are coming back. And so in the middle of the 20th century, that's a bit of an overgeneralization, but in the last 50 to 75 years, there have been special regulations that have been put on a lot of these rivers that were historically quite productive or rivers that are in, in danger. And those regulations sometimes will say fly fishing only. So regardless of what I said about how to use a fly rod, regardless of what I said about the advantages or disadvantages of fly fishing, uh, irrespective of what you think of the aesthetics of fly fishing, for a lot of people to fish in the river that's down the street or fish in the river that's in their backyard, they need to fly fish. And the reason for that is that the hooks on flies by and large are less damaging to the mouth of a fish because they are not ingesting something that has a attractive taste or aroma or even feel to it, like a, a rubber worm that has been infused with some sort of flavor or a bait, whether it be a minnow or whether it be something that's sold in a jar at a sporting goods store, because it is a feather or fur made fly, they are only getting in their mouth they're biting down on it, realizing this isn't real, and they go to spit it out, and that's when you hook them, usually in the mouth. So it is a smaller hook than you would use in conventional fishing, and it's a hook that is less likely to go deeper in their insides. And so it has been seen as a technique and an approach that is less lethal. It is not 
completely safe. This is a blood sport. And I am not one of those fly fishers that thinks that you should throw everything back. That is uh, actually a significant portion of us says that you should keep and you should eat fish, both for the experience, the enjoyment, but also for the understanding that that's kind of what's at the heart of fishing, at the heart of hunting. There's a lot of anglers that practice catch and release only. There's not a lot of hunters that practice catch and release. I'm not sure why that is. But a lot of anglers uh, practice catch and release only. And a lot of these rivers are catch and release fly fishing only, or they're fly fishing only, and you may only harvest one or two fish. A lot of river systems like that, people still choose to throw them all back because if they have that kind of regulation, it's because that population is kind of on the razor's edge. So that is a significant reason why a lot of people get into fly fishing. In fact, that's part of my story. You can read more about my story on the website on casting across. But I first fly fished because my friend found a beautiful river that he wanted to fish and someone pointed to a sign and said, you can't fish here with that spinning rod with those worms. You have to learn to fly fish. Now, we could talk about the ethics, we could talk about the government, we could talk about the regulations and all those things until we're blue in the face. But what we have seen in the states that I have experienced and experience in is that this kind of regulation not only produces a better experience for the angler, but it also raises the water that makes all the boats go up. So that is to say that upstream and downstream and in adjacent watersheds, there seems to be more stewardship of the rivers. So the people that do want to keep fish actually have more opportunities. The people that do want to use their conventional gear do have more opportunities. But the folks that do want to use fly that do want to use fly gear who want to fly fish, they have more opportunities. And in doing so, they're also promoting and protecting the trout and their environs. So those are a few things just to get us started. How fly fishing works, why you use a fly rod, what are the, some of the benefits, what is this draw to fly fishing, and why might this be your only choice if you want to fish in some of these rivers that you want to fish in. Doesn't mean it's just because everyone throws every fish back and the fish are going to be jumping out of the water to take your fly. That sometimes these fly fishing only waters are some of the most difficult waters, but it is a reason why a lot of people do get into fly fishing. So uh, a few things that uh, that we start off on. Again, we're going to be talking about the gear. We're going to talk about how you figure out where the fish are. We're going to talk about what happens winter, spring, summer, fall. We're going to talk about the culture of fly fishing. We're going to talk about warm water. If you're so far away from trout, but you stumbled into this episode of the podcast, then uh, we want to make sure that there's things that are there for you also. And then also, like I said, taking that next step. What else can you do? Where can you learn about fly fishing? And that's what I'll touch on at the end of this podcast episode. So if you've been listening for 270 episodes, uh, first of all, thanks for being a, a part of this, this like nine hour or nine hour, maybe nine half hour diversion, nine episode diversion of uh, the cast one series here on casting across. But if you're a new angler uh, or in a new listener, uh, at the end of every podcast episode, I do two things. One is I talk about what went on this week on Casting Across. So castingacross.com, it's a website and a lot of the content will overlap. Sometimes there's things that are unique to the website. Sometimes there are things that are unique to the podcast. What I talk about first is uh, the, the, the content that was put out on Monday and on Wednesday of the, the week that the podcast is released on. And then I have give a recommendation. And so I'll give the recommendation here in a moment. But the, what came out this week was, first of all, um, a tippet take, true and false. So tippet, the the line that's the very, very end of your fly fishing rig, um, it's usually monofilament. And an article came out by Hatch Magazine 
an online magazine that is kind of one of the uh, main resources for fly fishing online today. And uh, the argument was use thicker, heavier pound test uh, tippet exclusively. Now, that's a bit of an overgeneralization, but that certainly was the thrust of the article. I took a couple of exceptions with this, and although I agreed with a lot of the sentiment of the article, there's a few things that I vehemently disagree with, as much vehemence as one can have about uh, a little strand of nylon. So you can check that out, and I link, of course, to the original article so you can compare and contrast. Wednesday's article is called Introducing the Cast One Podcast Series, which, as you may imagine, is me explaining why I'm diverting from the regularly scheduled programming of the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast and talking about beginner-level uh, content. And again, what I mentioned on that article and what I mentioned at the outside of this podcast, if you have been fishing for you know 20 years, 50 years, 75 years, uh, hopefully I can give you some ammunition as you're figuring out how you can communicate this to your kids, your grandkids, somebody in your Trout Limited chapter, or even just so you can better think about what you do, why you do. This week's recommendation. So I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why people get into fly fishing is because they have to if they want to legally abide by the regulations that are put in place by their local or state uh, agency that governs fishing and wildlife. So that would be my recommendation for you. Step one, figure out if there's a water like that near you. Um, in every state I've fished in, I think with very few exceptions, there's been these kinds of waters in the Northeast, in the Southeast, in the Mid-Atlantic region, in the Midwest, down South, and in the Rockies, uh, and up in the, uh, the upper Midwest. There's waters I've come across as I've gone through the local guidebook, which used to be a physical guidebook, and a lot of places still is, but now you can access it online, and you can find out where are these places where that are fly fishing only. And oftentimes, these places that are fly fishing only uh, are have have hub. They're, they're the hub of of uh, with various spokes coming out of them. So if there's a fly fishing only water, there's a good chance there's going to be a fly shop in the area. There's a good chance that there's going to be an organization, whether it's Trout Unlimited or a fishing game club, that is going to give you resources. So although you're going to be able to find good stuff on podcasts, you're going to find a lot of good stuff online. If you can go and talk face to face with somebody, whether it be an, another angler who's parked at the, at the parking lot, who's you know putting their boots on. That's the kind of thing where you're going to get the very specific up to the minute personal touch that you need. And that oftentimes is the thing that really hooks people in fly fishing. There's a wonderful culture, a wonderful community, something we'll talk about in the coming episodes. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. In Wild Country... Rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.